Hello, I'm Matthew Bishop, the host of this new series of podcasts on the important topic of circular infrastructure. Our focus in this podcast is roads. Specifically, we will be asking how road infrastructure operators are leveraging the circular economy revolution. Our expert guests joining this podcast are Christopher Oog, Deputy General Manager at Vinci Autoroutes, Marta Hill de la Hose, Chief Strategy Innovation and Sustainability Officer at Satir, and Martin Lopez, CEO of Circle Economy. Road transport is responsible for around 20% of global CO2 emissions. And there's been plenty of attention to the emissions from vehicles. But there is now a growing recognition that road infrastructure itself uh, can transition from a wasteful linear economy model to a sustainable circular economy model. This is not just about reducing carbon emissions, but also preserving diversity of the natural ecosystem, nurturing natural capital, and improving system efficiency and potentially boosting profits at the same time. We're going to start by diving in to the big picture and Martin. Martin, Circle Economy, you produce each year at the World Economic Forum in Davos your Circular Gap report. What's that telling us about the state of the transition to circular economies around the world? And uh, what specifically does it mean for the road infrastructure sector. Thanks, Matthew. And uh, yeah, the picture is a little dire there. Um, so if you look at the sort of the, the report we published each year, uh, the circularity gap report, we basically look at sort of how much materials flow through the whole world. So we took a very holistic picture and basically take an X-ray of all the materials. And there are more than 100 billion tons of materials right now. And if you look at the level of circularity, um, since publishing that report, uh, we started about six years ago, we launched it this year in Davos. Um, it has dropped from 9.1 to 7.2%. So we're so going in the wrong direction at the moment. We're going in the wrong direction. And basically what we're, what we're seeing is, uh, yes, I think there is a bit more cycling at the end, um, but the use of virgin materials is growing at a faster rate. And as a, as a result, the gap gets closer or the linear machine is basically outpacing us. And is that true everywhere in the world, or is that particularly around you know, sort of a developing economy versus more developed economy uh, model? Well, you definitely see, if you look at our material footprint, uh, that, you know, similar as with the climate agenda, uh, the footprint is much higher in the, you know, more developed uh, north as opposed to into the global south. Uh, that being said, if you look at the infrastructure build out, so the use of new materials that's predominantly taking place in you know places like China and India that are really building out their infrastructure. So I think if you if you look at that picture, there's the different circular economy strategies that will be applicable for different parts of the world. And how does the road infrastructure fit into this overall circularity narrative? Is it a better story there that we're seeing or not really? Not really, I'm afraid. So, I mean, if you look at the sort of the, what are the big components on a very much holistic level, you basically have the whole infrastructure piece. Uh, you have the fuel or energy that's needed to basically move things from A to B. And then you have the materials in the vehicles. And the two biggest components out of those three are definitely the sort of energy required to uh, create the mobility, um, as well as the infrastructure. And while I think on the... Um, on the uh, on the mobility, you definitely see you know a big transition to electrification. There are some hydrogen conversations taking uh, place, but I think on the infrastructure side, we're still scratching the surface at this point. 
So, Christoph, um, how do you react to this overview? Do you share Martin's assessment of the current state of circularity in the road infrastructure business? Well, I would begin uh, just by precising the road role in France, because you talked about 20% of GHG emission in the world, but in France it's 30%. And uh, road transport is 85% for good and uh, persons. Uh, so it's the main transportation mode, and it's going to stay this way till 2050. So there is a real need for a transformation, a quick transformation of the road system uh, to save all the transport sector. Therefore, um, more circularity in road transport would involve to uh, a tax-free axis. First, the operations of the road. Second, uh, the civil works for maintenance or for new projects. And the third one would be the use of the infrastructure. For operation, the main point is the waste recovery. Uh, that would be uh, all the waste that are generated just by the fact of uh, operating, protecting uh, the use of the road. Uh, second one is civil works. Here, there is really uh, a large target to achieve in the years to come. The, the road network is mainly built. So that means that uh, uh, most of the construction material has already been extracted. And uh, the, the challenge now is to use the existing infrastructure to maintain the network and uh, to build uh, the new extensions to minimize material and energy consumption. On the infrastructure use side, there are also a lot of challenges. Uh, first one would be uh, the waste of the clients. And there is a huge need for information, for nudge, uh, to incline the clients to sort. Uh, also the reduction of what we're selling on services area, for example. And uh, there is a large need for improvement of the use of the infrastructure with all the shared mobility uh, projects and also with the development of all the infrastructure for charging vehicles, for electricity, for light vehicles, heavy vehicle, gas, hydrogen, and maybe, but I hope I will talk about it later, electric roads. So, Marta, what for you are the, are the biggest business challenges as you make this transition to the circular economy model? For Sathir, the situation is a little bit different from, from Vinci because we uh, operate in more than 20 countries. Uh, most of them are based in uh, Latin America. So there, our focus is on greenfield projects. So we have to start a road from the very beginning. And within the same company, we have a relevant part of the value chain. We design, we uh, build, and we operate a road uh, throughout uh, 20 years. So we have perhaps a, a more holistic approach than them. And for us, uh, circularity is one of the uh, the, the most relevant parts uh, within our uh, sustainability strategy. Uh, and to share with you some figures, uh, we have uh, closed the past year, the 2022, with a level of, uh, of use uh, of 50% uh, of recycled materials in all of our activities. And we reuse or we upcycle more than 85% of our waste. So we try to, to do our best at, at this point. For us, the main challenge has to do with collaboration throughout uh, the whole value chain, because in the end, we are only managers of others' assets. So we can advise, we can foster, we can propose alternatives. But in the end, the final decision is not ours. And I think that uh, we have to uh, create a, a big collaboration uh, chain with all the actors within the, our business, regulators, clients, suppliers, manufacturers, uh, because uh, this um, bet uh, towards a circular economy is a 
short, medium and long term and all of us has to work together to to keep moving on in the right direction. Marta, if you're operating in 20 different countries, are there sort of significant differences one country to the next in terms of how far people have an appetite to make the infrastructure more circular and the culture of the country and so forth? Is that is that helping or hindering? Totally. We uh, operate in Europe, we operate in North America, and we operate in uh, Latin America. And has that nothing to do with the uh, regulation and the level of development or supplier, for example, that is a key part of our uh, operation fostering circular economy. So when we uh, start a new project, we design a circularity plan uh, with all the initiatives uh, we can carry out. And to design this plan, we have to take into account, obviously, the kind of activity, because it is not the same to build a road or to build a hospital, for example. And we have to take into account the place uh, where we are going to develop our activities, uh, just for that reason, because it is not the same level of maturity. So we'll dig a bit deeper now into the promising new practices that are emerging as the circular mindset uh, takes hold in the road infrastructure industry. And we're seeing these in strategies like those of Vinci and uh, Satya. Um, for instance, Christoph, circular economy, you have made one of the three pillars of Vinci Auto Route's Ambition Environment 2030 strategy. Can you tell us about some of the ways you're currently embedding circular practices in your operations? Yes, Vinci Auto Route's uh, environmental policy is based on uh, the three pillars, climate and energy, circular economy and natural environments. And these three pillars are pretty interlinked. That means that, for instance, uh, reducing the carbon footprint is often linked to the reduction of uh, material consumption. So if we begin with operation process, today we are generating about 16,000 tons of waste every year, which is uh, much from uh, retention ponds, metals, plastic signal ponds. And uh, we have uh, set the goal to reach a target of 100% of uh, recycling and uh, energy recovery by 2025. We're currently at 86%. It's a big work, especially with the sorting process, uh, but it's ongoing very well. On the construction uh, works, I I was mentioning the fact that uh, we are more focusing on maintenance now. It's representing more than half of all the work we're conducting on the motorway. Uh, our objective is to divide by two uh, the carbon footprint uh, of our work site by 2030, recover 90% of asphalt aggregate, that is the waste of the pavement, and uh, 100% of all the other materials that are extracted from the from the sites, from earthwork, the construction, uh, and so on. We have been very good with asphalt aggregates. I will be more precise a little later. And uh, we are progressing very quickly on uh, material from uh, engineering structure, the the construction. And historically, we have been, for economical reasons, working very well uh, on earth work also. No, the main challenge is uh, to reach the the right combination of uh, reusing, recycling, and uh, economical uh, optimization. Uh, and also GHG optimization, because sometimes they don't go in the same direction. So we have uh, dis- we are using some project management tools in the design, the, the procurement, in the contractual monitoring that are helping us to maximize material recovery and reuse. And we are using also cross-programming to um, use material from previous sites on other sites uh, to optimize also the recycling rates. We try to be a little ahead of the sector like maybe two years ahead. 
so that we still have contractors answering to our tenders. And um, we then, uh, with a constant discussion with our partner, try to empower their innovation capacity. So as uh, all along the construction site period, we are trying to find new solutions. Currently, we are between 50 to 90% of recovery of all the wastes uh, on the on our, on our sites. Great. Marta, the same question to you. I mean, you've, you at Sahia have developed a circular economy policy. You've got broad guidelines and commitments to follow and fulfill. Tell us a bit about how that works in practice. Okay. Uh, the main uh, features of this uh, policy that has been updated uh, last December, first of all, is corporate. So it affects uh, all our operations in those uh, 20 countries and all the activities we have because we build, but we treat water and we treat waste too. So it is a corporate policy. Uh, it has an holistic approach. So it means that uh, we try to cover the whole value chain. So it affects Sathir, but it affects our clients and our suppliers too, because as I said at the beginning, a circular economy needs a total collaboration throughout the, the whole value chains. We are fostering training too, because it is important to uh, show the benefits of circular economy and how relevant and, and the impact it, it has on the operation. So we have a, a staff of more than 45,000 employees throughout this country. So we are trying to foster this, this training. And we try to foster innovation too, because for us, the connection between innovation and circular economy is, is clear. And thanks to innovation, it helps us to reduce emissions, to upcycle waste, and uh, to think in new, different ways of uh, treating waste, even creating new business lines for us. And has there been much resistance from the workforce, or have they generally been pretty enthusiastic about it? Because obviously this is very traditional labor in many ways and uh, this is a new kind of working depending on the activity uh, there are uh, business units that are more uh, open to new ideas and open to new ways of doing things others are not so uh, so open obviously it is not always easy and that's uh, the main reason for keeping an eye on this on this training uh, the good thing is our Part of our uh, structure uh, relate, uh, re regarding circular economy is um, this side uh, work. Uh, so we have a lot of people widespread along the uh, along the, the organization, and they are the key uh, person here for fostering circular economy at uh, the project level. Uh, you have to take into account that we have more than 4,000 projects, not only obviously road projects, but we have more done 4,000 projects uh, in all uh, our activities and it is the best way to, to foster all these works. Martin, what's your take on this? What degree of consciousness do you perceive as you look across the infrastructure, the road infrastructure sector? And are we at this stage talking revolution or are we talking only gradual evolution? Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Matthew. I was carefully listening um, and, and I was actually quite impressed because I think we're really here on the podcast with sort of two forward-looking uh, organizations, Vinci Outer Roads and, and Sakir. And I think they're definitely leading um, leading the pack. And I was listening a little bit, um, so maybe a couple of observations uh, from, from my side. So I think you definitely see, whereas Da Vinci is much more focused on the end of life and the, and the maintenance with most of the infrastructure already being set up, 
we definitely see in other parts of the world where it's much more about what can you do in the design phase. Uh, and we also see that, uh, and we actually call these what we call sort of uh, shift countries, where they basically have to make the shift from uh, existing infrastructure to reusing that, as opposed to build countries, which are more focused on the design phase. Maybe the second observation is if you look at sort of, a, you know, a bit more generic strategies that we lay out in our circularity gap report, it's how can you use sort of less materials in the whole process? Um, so for a road that would be, how can you sort of, you know, have the same amount of road, but really optimize that road much more. So it would be interesting to get into, uh, I know that might be a bit less infrastructure, more operation aspect. But of course, if you can get twice uh, the amount of, of, of people using the road, then you only need half the materials. The other one I think is long levity in terms of if you can actually have that infrastructure road. And I think that's the maintenance piece. If if you don't have to, re, you know, it doesn't become obsolete in 20 years, but actually can work 30 or 40 years. Um, that's, that's a big benefit. And the other aspect, what I find only really interesting is, you know, what types of materials can you use? And, and I think in the built environment, we see a lot of bio-based materials uh, coming up and, 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 you know, creating sort of quite natural cycles there. So I would be quite interested to hear a, a bit about that. And of course, there's the cycle where I think what I'm hearing, both uh, Da Vinci Ultra Roots and Sakir have quite advanced uh, strategies and quite high targets. And that's basically what we're seeing across the, the, like, you know, I think we see a lot of end of life uh, and that's definitely a very great place to start, but I'm also really interested in these other strategies. Well, we've heard a lot about both the role that innovative technologies and new business models are going to have to play in driving and scaling the circular transition. And Martin just mentioned materials and Christoph, improving the features of, of bituminous mixes seems to be a new circular best-in-class in your business. Can you explain this to us and, and talk about the sort of impact they're having and could have in the future? Yeah, as I was mentioning, the maintenance part of the road is a very important part of our works. And the main material that is needed to uh, maintain a road is a new pavement. Basically, you have to do that between every 10 to 15 years, depending on the traffic, the meteorological conditions, and so on. Uh, so for us, it means that we have every year hundreds of kilometers of road to maintain. Uh, it represents 1.6 million of tons of material uh, to put to uh, uh, refurbish the road. We have been pushing the recycling of the previous pavement, the one that we are scrapping before uh, we put the new road, to the maximum that we could. So currently, we are extracting 1.2 million tons of uh, asphalt aggregates from the scrapping, and um, we are reusing 94% of it, including more than 45% on our own sites. We cannot use all of it because we have some very high performance uh, needed on the motorway. So some part of it has to be used on other road projects. We are pushing this uh, recycling to the maximum using some specific equipment, working with companies developing innovation, specific uh, bituminous concrete plant. And um, we have kind of identified that there is an optimum around 70% of uh, recycling. That's what we are trying to reach at each time it's possible, each time the original scrap material has a sufficient quality. 
So why 70%? 70% is the optimum to keep the right level uh, of uh, quality, the right level of um, uh, productivity, and the lowest level of GHG emissions. Uh, if you want to go to 100%, sometime you can reach the right quality. And we have made an experiment showing that it can perfectly work in the north of Bordeaux on the other uh, motorway A10. But there is a, a, a very quick decrease in the productivity of the plant, which is not compatible with the operational constraint we have on motorways. And we, are need, we have a need to heat up the material a lot more, which is implying a lot of GHG emissions. So, Marta, what about you? What are your most promising innovative circular projects that you've been pursuing at Sate? We reused excavated soil too in our works. We have experience similar to the one mentioned by Christophe. We have recently inaugurated a big highway in in Chile, Américo Vespucio Oriente, that it is in the in the in the capital of the of the country where. Uh, we have used the same percentage of excavated soil, uh, that uh, 70%. We have included uh, innovative uh, techniques uh, to reduce uh, the amount of energy and uh, to reduce the temperature use uh, within the process. So we are trying to reduce the carbon emissions within the process. Uh, and at the same way, uh, we are trying to foster a circular economy there. Uh, we are trying uh, in other uh, projects to use byproducts, for example, from other industries. We are um, researching around uh, steelworks slag or glass from urban waste, or for example, ash uh, from volcanoes, uh, with the aim of reducing the amount of cement we are using in our mixes, or even improving the, the features of, of the mix. And we have another relevant initiative that uh, for us uh, now is a, a real success because it started uh, several years ago as an innovation uh, pilot. And now uh, we have created a new product. So it is selling a product that for us is uh, relatively strange. It is called Rarekis and it is an asphalt uh, additive that is manufactured uh, from uh, uh, tires out of service. We use the rubber, we treat it, and we create uh, this additive that improves the features of the, of the, of the asphalt. And uh, for us, it's a new business line, and we are uh, exporting this product, uh, ob obviously in Spain, but we are using it in in, it, uh, in Mexico, in Colombia, and in Chile. And another product uh, in, uh, we are selling now and started to as an innovation initiative, uh, it is called Ionic. In this way, it's a new lighting technology, for uh, mainly for tunnels. And the point here is that uh, we have uh, used an eco-design to make it completely reusable. So if it is something not working, it's completely an integrated module. So we uh, only need to change the piece that is not working properly. And 90% uh, of the components are reusable. For uh, It's a different way of approaching circular economy. So, Martin, uh, in all industries, it seems to me, there's this discussion that goes hand in hand with the circular economy discussion, which is the shift to business as a service um, models. Does that hold true for roads as well? Should, should we be thinking about road infrastructure as a service and, and what, what would be the opportunities to develop that? 
Yeah, thanks, Murphy. I think it, it very well could be. Uh, so I think in, in, in software, you already have seen sort of software as a service or SaaS models. Uh, I think also product as a service uh, um, becomes such, much more mainstream now. Um, and of course, the natural ev evolution would be roads as a service um, or RAS. And to some extent, I think it's already happening, right? Um, so I think in, in, in some cases, and I would love to... Uh, uh, also get Christoph's perspective on it because I think his company to some extent does that, at least that's my understanding. But in a lot of public uh, cases, of course, where the government owns the, 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 the roads um, and a contractor would build a road on behalf of the, of the government, um, you could, of course, align the incentive much better uh, in, a, in a service model, so road as a service because then the contractor retains ownership uh, of the road and is now incentivized to basically keep the road you know, running smoothly for as long of period in time in, an in a material efficient manner. So you basically combine the construction, uh, the design phase with the maintenance phase and the end of life phase and put it all in the hands of one player. And then you don't get the conflicts of interest where somebody just wants to build something cheaply, but then you know, incur, uh, you know, higher costs, but also higher material losses uh, in the maintenance and the end of life uh, phase. Christoph, is that something you're looking at, the roads as a service model? Yes, uh, it is something we're really uh, working on. And um, I have a very interesting example about that because um, the road can have a major role far beyond the infrastructure itself if it's used uh, properly. My example is on freight transport. We are seeing that currently there is the arrival of uh, electric trucks. Uh, it's going to be in the years to come, uh, uh, the main decarbonized uh, vehicle to carry the freight uh, on our motorways. And there is a need for large batteries to ensure sufficient autonomy. On this, there is a solution that is very interesting that is called the electric road. So instead of having a truck that is charging his energy at a charging station, then driving for a few hundred kilometers, and having to charge again at another charging unit, we are working on a road that could provide the energy while the truck is driving. So the energy would fill up the battery and provide the, the sufficient momentum so that the truck can drive. That means that we would have uh, no need for large batteries. We could have reduced size of the batteries for all these trucks. So there are three technologies currently that are being experimented. Uh, it's by catenaries, like trains, by rail, and also by induction. And we are working especially on the two last ones because it could also be used on light vehicles. But the impact of uh, such a development would be huge because it would reduce the size of all the batteries in all the countries, which means no uh, lithium need, no cobalt need, reduction of the cost of the freight transports, and uh, easy reach of the target of zero carbon in 2050. So there is a major plane in France that is being uh, uh, developed uh, by service of transport minister. And uh, of course, uh, we are uh, really pushing for that. And we want to experiment uh, in the years to come, uh, especially rail and induction. But uh, this would offer an infrastructure that could deliver the energy to the vehicles, that it could be also produced on the side of the road with sonar panels. So the, the infrastructure 
would uh, deliver a service that is fully integrated into uh, the circular economy. Marta, are you looking at uh, roads as a service? We are uh, researching uh, with some of the technologies that uh, Christopher mentioned. Uh, the point with us is our main uh, infrastructure, our main assets are based in Latin America and there the appetite for this kind of assets is not so advanced as, as, in, as in Europe. What we are trying is to make our asset greener trying to uh, reduce the carbon emissions to create a, a bigger impact in the environment uh, in the environment we have around us and make greater to the impact we have in the local communities uh, fostering sustainability uh, within our clients there uh, but they are not so developed as uh, clients in Europe for example we are researching, but uh, from an innovative point of view, uh, trying to find the, the best way to, to put it in practice. So let's talk about the business case for circularity. Um, we know it's hopefully going to improve the environmental impact, but is this also going to improve profitability in the industry? Uh, Christoph, um, tell us about the economics of this transition. Is circularity going to be a source of competitive advantage? Yeah, I think in several cases it, uh, it's very interesting on a business uh, point of view. Generally speaking, if I go back to civil works, uh, using less material, saving material leads to cost, reduction, cost reductions. Uh, I was giving the example of recycling the roads and uh, this target of 70% of recycling. Uh, when you do 70% of recycling, you are saving 30% of the total cost of the maintenance because of the economy you're doing on the gravels, uh, natural resources and bitumen. That can lead to a uh, significant uh, impact on the maintenance costs. And uh, we know that uh, uh, if we watch all the road network in France, uh, a good maintenance is also uh, uh, a very good uh, uh, direction uh, to get a more sustainable road network. I totally agree. Uh, I think it is not only the economic uh, point that it is uh, obviously important for business, but uh, with the same uh, example of this 70% uh, uh, of excavated soil, for example, reduced in a work, uh, it is a, a sustainable way of building an infrastructure and it is the fastest, fastest way of uh, avoiding all the problems we had the previous year uh, regarding the value chain. So it is a way of making th things uh, faster within the same work. Moreover, uh, as I said before, we have been able to create a new business uh, income in the company. Uh, obviously, we are not going to, to stop being a concessionaire, uh, but uh, these new business lights are a different way of complementing our income, are completely complementary to, to the kind of activities. And for example, we are trying to uh, reduce the materials, like for example, cements using waste for other industries. So we are buying less cement and we are helping other companies to be sustainable too. So it's a kind of vicious uh, circle around circularity. Uh, Martin, uh, at the Circular Economy, you developed a tool to scan the circularity of any business. Can you talk a bit about why you've done that and how you hope it'll be used and, and the metrics behind it? Yeah, I mean, I think it's very related to this business uh, model question, depending on what we scan. So off the back of our circularity gap report for the world, um, there's now 12 countries who have basically done a similar analysis that leads to road mapping. Um, 
And we have done something similar with about 50 cities. Uh, interestingly, one of the main sort of measures that always comes out of this is also on the um, leveraging the purchasing power of the governments itself and including circularity metrics in tenders, etc. Um, and back to uh, the comments that were just made, uh, of course, if you're ahead of the game, then, you know, that's a, a great position to be in as an organization to win those tenders. So I think, I, so I think from a, from a revenue perspective, that's also attractive in addition to the, to the cost savings. The other thing that I found fascinating that often comes out of these scans is the combination of sort of new digital technologies uh, wrapped around uh, infrastructure. So I think Christoph already mentioned, like, you know, can you can a road have complete new value propositions above and beyond just moving things from A to B? And, you know, in the similar vein, you know, for instance, we looked at parking garages, where if you cleverly layer digital technology, you can actually increase the yield of those garages tremendously. Uh, and then you basically have a competitive advantage because you can earn more per parking spot, but also you use less garages, right? So a lot of these things often go uh, go hand in hand. And maybe the final point is if you just look at infrastructure, they typically use materials with a very high amount of embedded carbon in it. And, you know, with CO2 pricing now really starting to happen in Europe, and I would expect over some years also in other parts of the world, um, I think those cost savings will become quite substantial uh, over time. And I think if you have your supply chain optimized for that, and it's not something that's been done overnight, right? It really requires collaboration across the value chain. I think you have a real edge on the competition. As you look at the um, the, the value chain and the, the ecosystem around road infrastructure, um, do you think, uh, Christoph, Marta, that, that you know, you're, what you're doing, do you feel like you're ahead of the ecosystem? Do you feel there are parts of the ecosystem that are lagging behind and quite a problem and how much to things like the electrification of vehicles is that is that a big is that way ahead of everything else or or is that actually when you look at it in detail less of an exciting development than you might think from my point of view i think uh, that we operate in a really really fragmented uh, sector so uh, it is, uh, we are big players, uh, Vinci and, and us and, and Sathir, but alone we can hardly do nothing. We need this collaboration with the suppliers to all the initiatives we, were be, uh, we have been sharing uh, with you uh, need to be uh, accomplished with the suppliers, the providers uh, and obviously the, the, the regulators. But we need or we have the, the, uh, the mandate to foster this collaboration and to foster uh, the circular uh, economy uh, approach. So um, we can be ahead of that, of course, but uh, we need to collaborate all of us. And it depends a lot of, on the on the country we are working on. For example, talking about uh, electrical mobility, it is not the same to uh, to foster uh, electrical mobility in Europe or in Spain, for example. There are, our headquarters are in Spain. If you compare the situation in Chile, where the number of electric cars is far away from the numbers in Europe. So uh, starting now to push electrical mobility in a country where perhaps 1,000 of cars are electric in the whole country, uh, it is difficult and perhaps it's not the best moment and we have to push other initiatives that could 
uh, have a greater impact and can be more valuable for, for the society in general. Christoph, same question to you. Well, I, I quite agree with uh, what Mart has just said. I think the main point is collaboration. Uh, basically, uh, the road uh, was an infrastructure on the 20th century, and now it's a system. It's a system of transport, vehicle, energy, multimodal interfaces. So we have to work with several partners to achieve something in the future. Uh, it has to be cities, uh, government, Europe, industrials, uh, car manufacturers, machines manufacturers for a worksite, energy providers. Everybody has to be around the table to define properly the path and the actions to be taken. Um, I would say that we have a specific role in that because uh, we are giving the orders uh, in our tenders. We are setting the specification that allow us uh, to put everybody on the tip of the toes, I would say. Uh, but we cannot be too far away in advance of the sector or nobody will work with us. So we're almost out of time. And I wanted to ask each of our experts to peer a little further into the future and look at what could be in store in terms of the circularity of road infrastructure. So I'll start with you, Marta. Um, in 10 years, uh, what do you think will be the biggest shifts in uh, road infrastructure in terms of circularity? And what do you see as the biggest challenges that uh, need to be overcome to get there? It's my desire. Uh, I don't have a, a, a glass board, but uh, for me, it would be a preferred situation if we uh, think as the road, as the asset, as a road, as a product, sorry, uh, with its own life cycle and uh, with the collaboration uh, between all the actors, uh, being able to make decisions along uh, the whole period of the of the life cycle of the road, instead of the situation we have now, where uh, we only can act at a specific points with a specific initiatives, and uh, the impact uh, it has now is not the biggest impact we can have. Uh, so it is not the same to act at a certain point but we need to design the whole approach to go towards the road from the very beginning, from the designing phase until the end of the road. And for that, we need to collaborate uh, all the actors uh, relevant in the, in the road infrastructure. Christoph? Well, the image I have uh, in the next 10 years, uh, by 2035, uh, the motorway uh, would be used by nearly 50% of electric light vehicle, around 20% of uh, electric trucks and uh, maybe some uh, hydrogen trucks also. So it's going to be totally different. Uh, there is a need uh, to prepare for this transformation, a need for investment, a need for a partnership. And um, we can uh, provide a sustainable motorway system and road system that will uh, uh, answer to the targets of the Fit for 55. Uh, we have to work on a few topics that we have been talking about. Uh, generate less waste, recycling the existing infrastructure uh, for maintenance, adapting uh, for the climate change, the infrastructure, that, so that can, can be used uh, in any situation. Um, optimizing the use of space and time with uh, car sharing, uh, accommodate the new uh, decarbonized vehicle. Uh, all that will need investment and we'll need that uh, all the partners gather and work together uh, to make uh, a better road, a road that is suitable for tomorrow. And I'm going to give the last word to you, Martin. What do you see in your crystal ball? Always hard to uh, predict the future. Um, 
but I would agree with the previous speakers. I think I think we'll probably see, you know, a lot more focus also on the strategies that are earlier in the life cycle, um, in addition to the, the cycling piece that is, I think, well underway. Um, I would expect also on the finance, some big players stepping in to grab this opportunity and create sort of financing uh, vehicles that will enable this. And I think that could potentially be, be very well combined with sort of road as a service models, because inherently, I think it's a, if you do that well, I think it's a very stable and predictable um, a product that can be financed. And then lastly, my sense is, uh, and I think it's to Marfa's point about the fragmentation in the market, what we've seen in other industries is that more and more players are getting together pre-competitively to shape the ecosystem. So if there's really big parts missing, um, so you see that in the electric vehicles, on the battery recycling, um, so in, in, di in, different, in different areas of the value chain, because in a lot of cases, those investments that are needed are so big that not one player can do that alone. And I think Christoph mentioned, well, if we put a tender out that's sort of too forward looking, we don't have the, the people actually uh, bidding for the, for the work. I think the next thinking would be is like, where, where will things be in 10, 15 years from now? And how can we create the ecosystem in such a way that there are uh, the relevant players to make those big bids? And in some cases, I think it will be more the industry coming together to solve that as opposed to individual organizations. Great. Well, thank you all for a very stimulating conversation. I think we've covered a lot of ground and we've seen there's lots of innovation and change underway that should help accelerate the move towards a circular economy model in road infrastructure. Christoph Hook, uh, Deputy General Manager at Vinci Auto Routes, Marta Hildelahoz, Chief Strategy, Innovation and Sustainability Officer at Sahir, and Martin Lopez, CEO of Circle Economy. Thank you very much for joining us and sharing your expertise with us. I think our audience will find it very inspiring. Thank you very much. Thanks for the great uh, conversation. Thank you very much.